Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome. This is Just Human number 240. I am actually here and half awake. Uh, sorry about Wednesday. Um, I had planned to go live, as you saw, since I logged it and had the live stream set up and everything. Um, and then I, I just kept on sleeping. <laughs> I slept like until well after 10 o'clock and woke up and was like, oh, shoot. Um, my dogs didn't wake me up. My kid didn't wake me up. My phone didn't wake me up with my alarm. I just kept sleeping. So on Tuesday, I had some dental work done and uh, was in some pain on Tuesday night. So I took a took some Advil and some CBD gummies and um, slept like 11 hours. Um, it was great, but I did miss a show. And so I really do feel bad about it, especially after... Um, after Monday going through on this show, telling people to hit the notification bell and how to set it up for instant notification on rumble, um, and all that. And then the next show I don't show up for, uh, so my bad. Um, but here we are. Let's try this again. Episode two forty. Let's try this again today. We're going to talk about, um, or we're going to, we're going to look at the, uh, the latest filings in Jack Smith's case cases and uh really there's only really he's only filing in the florida one right now uh and then we'll see if we have time left we may surf around some other dockets and see what's going on with those but um we do have we do have several filings in the docs case since we were last here um and i want to touch on those and we have some responses back and forth about the discovery process and then we have one filing in the dc case that i want to take a look at so, all right, before we get into it, that's the wrong key. There we go. Here we go. Before we, before we get into it, if you're not following me on the social media as well, here are the social medias I'm on right here, my link tree. Uh, I don't post on, on Blue Sky very much, uh, like at all, but I went ahead and parked an account there. And I don't know, it seems like a good idea to park an account. Uh, wherever I can, because you just never know when one social media is going to go down or you're going to get booted or whatever. So if you're on Blue Sky 2, give me a follow over there. Um, Substack is the best place to get the pod. It is the place to get the podcast version of this show. It usually comes out a couple hours after the show is over. Um, everything on my Substack is free. But if you want to support what I do, uh, Substack paid subscription is the best way. On X... Uh, which this needs to update its icon. Um, X is where I've been doing all of my threading. And I did this thread um, over the documents that we've been, or the, the court filing for the motion to compel in the docs case. So I did a huge thread on it and went through it just like I did on my show that you guys were here for. And um, if you're wanting that version of it, then that's where it's going to be. X is just the best place to thread. I really wish True Social would improve their threading capability, like make threading a thing at all over there, because then I would I would do it on both sides. But True Social's threading is so broken that it, there's no point. There's just no point. I've tried building threads over there, and it's it's just a mess. So X is where I like to to do it. And for me, threading is um, it's a good way to get information out. Yeah. But it's good for me. Like I do it for a lot of selfish reasons because it 
there's some, there's something about going through the document and then writing and commenting on it and doing the screenshots and, and constructing the thread that helps me commit it to memory. So that's, that's where I really like to do it. Anyway, over here, I pointed out and I really wanted to emphasize, um, that Nunez memo. And before I get back to the promotion of all of my links and stuff, I want to say a word about this Nunez memo thing. I'm, I, ha I haven't really ever bought into the idea that the Crossfire Hurricane Binder is what they were after at Mar-a-Lago. That theory's been out since the very beginning when the raid, quote-unquote, happened. Uh, a lot of people speculated that maybe it has to do with the Crossfire Hurricane Binder. And now I think it really does. And th I think that's it. I think it has to do with the Crossfire Hurricane Binder. And I think it has to do with those possibly... Uh, some stuff related to the Iran plans. And um, then there's one other document that was mentioned in the filing that uh, I can't remember what it is right now. Um, they told us in one of the filings what it related to. And I can't remember right now, but it's neither the Iran thing or the crossfire hurricane thing. Anyway, um, the new, I, th I think that some of these documents are the documents from the crossfire hurricane binder that's missing quote unquote uh i like i like that idea it makes sense to me that trump is having them chase him for the crossfire hurricane binder uh that is very very typical trump to make his enemies chase him for something that he wants to be exposed such as his taxes making them chase him to get access to his taxes because he actually did want his taxes out there because they proved he was right and he actually overpaid his taxes and then it set a precedent for congress to go after the tax history of other presidents right so um i it's just it's just so typical trump so um this is my thinking on it that several of these documents are the the crossfire hurricane binder and we know that the documents are, i believe there's nine marked classified documents at issue, but I believe that they have said that there's like 700 pages, maybe, um, across that are connected to those documents. So it makes sense to me, the Crossfire Hurricane, sections of it could be there, of that binder. And I also kind of wonder, like, did John Solomon make all these copies and then John Solomon gave those copies to Trump? Like, because we know that John Solomon took the Crossfire Hurricane binder and went and started making copies of it and then got a call from the White House that he needed to bring it back and give it to DOJ because DOJ wanted to do Privacy Act redactions um, or review Privacy Act stuff. And I wonder if Solomon made copies and then gave those copies to Trump and then Trump took those copies to Mar-a-Lago. I'm also thinking that the FBI did not search the skiff. Uh, we talked about that on the show that, you know, there's that section shortly after this um, about a specific room that they failed to search. And Trump is asking for, you know, there's, there's gotta be some, there's gotta be some communications about why they didn't search that one area. And I'm thinking it's the skiff. And I think my thinking there is that they didn't want to search the skiff because they didn't want to present the grand jury any information about there being a skiff. So in all the material they presented the grand jury in order to get the indictment, 
and in the indictment itself, they wanted to leave out any mention of any sort of secure facility that was at Mar-a-Lago. And in doing so, they, you know, they keep, they maintain this perception that Mar-a-Lago was, was not a secure place. You know, they made a big deal in the indictment and they have in other filings about how there's, uh, they do so many events per year and there's so many rooms for guests to come and stay. And here, here it is. Uh, you know, there's, there's all this activity at Mar-a-Lago and it's a commercial business and like they want, they wanted the grand jury and eventually the, the jury who would see this case would hear this case to have the perception that Mar-a-Lago is this resort and isn't some sort of secure facility at all. And so they let, they did not search Trump's skiff because they didn't want to bring it up at all in any filing that Trump had this secure facility. And, you know, Trump tried to get the judge to order the chief information security officer to re officer to recertify his skiff. Um, and I want to point something out about the recertification. The, re the certification has to do with whether the government says that it's up to standards and that it meets the requirements to be um, to handle certain levels of classified material, right? So there's like the there's like the government, uh, their agency under DOD, like uh, DISA or whatever it is, they'll accredit that SCIF, they'll certify it to a certain level of security. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have a skiff at all just because it's not certified by DOD. Many, many, many businesses, especially businesses run by billionaires, have skiffs and secure work environments, SWEs, so that they can discuss their multi-million dollar deals or their multi-million dollar technology or whatever it is that they do. They want to have secure facilities to handle their business in because there's so much money at stake. And so it's not unusual for a, at all for Trump to have a secure work environment or a skiff. Um, and it can be set up in a, it can be a closet. Like it can be a, just a, it can be the tiniest room. It could be the size of the studio I'm in right here. And as long as it has certain features about it, which secure it, it can be a skiff or be accurately referred to as a skiff or accurately, accurately referred to as a secure work environment. I think Trump had that and has always has had that for decades at Mar-a-Lago and at Trump Tower and at Bedminster. Um, the difference is when he was president, DOD came in and certified it and brought it up to the standards of the federal government to handle the classified information he would be handling then. Anyway, I think they wanted to leave any mention of anything like that out in order to continue the impression that Trump just left this stuff lying around that anybody could just walk into Mar-a-Lago and oops, there's a classified document right there on the, on the ottoman or on the coffee table or whatever, you know? All right. There's my little, there's my little rant about that. <laughs> Back to my links. So other ways to support the show, ko-fi.com. You can buy me a cup of coffee. Bensonhoneyfarms.com. My friends at Benson Honey Farms. Good morning, Mo. I saw you in chat. If you click my link, it's an affiliate link. You go over here, you buy some delicious honey, you buy some soap, what have you. They kick a few dollars my way. Watch out for the candy. It's super good. <laughs> Bootleg salsa. 
same deal. If you guys are interested in some salsa or some sauce or some dry rub, some taco seasoning, fajita seasoning, etc. Ooh, Mo says use code HONEY15, get 15% off over at VincentHoneyFarms.com. Bootleg Salsa, their deal is free shipping over $50. Use code BOOTLEG at checkout. I love every single thing I've ever had from Bootleg. It's delicious. Their chili is amazing. Um, but I cook with their stuff all the time. Uh, like I use their seasonings like every other day. Um, I cook a lot at home and, and bootleg has become my go-to. Uh, so I love all their stuff. Can't, can't say enough good things about it. And then manly cans, Valentine's day is coming up. If you're looking for a gift for the manly man in your life, manly cans is a great place to go. The dapper can is my favorite. Dapper can comes with stuff like this. I love it. All great stuff, but I do want to point something out that's pretty cool. Check it out. The smoking hot can has bootleg in it. Check that out. So congratulations to Bootleg on their partnership with Manly Cans. They have the Bootleg Four Pepper Death Punch salsa. Now I I like hot. I like hot. I like spice. I like peppers. I don't know that I like four pepper death punch. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not in the category of sear my taste buds off, but I don't mind burning them a little bit, <laughs> but just a little bit charred. I don't want them. I don't want to kill them. Uh, but if you're one of those crazy people who like super, super hot stuff and just challenging yourself to eat the spiciest, most peppery stuff, that might be the right salsa for you. So anyway, Bootleg is now in, uh, now partnered with uh, Smoking Hot Can. So, um, pretty cool. And the same deal with them. If you get a if you get a Manly Can over here, they'll kick a few dollars my way out of your purchase. And then I got merch, and then I got Venmo. And these are the places I stream: Rumble, and Pilled, and D Live, and now on X too. So. Hello to everybody watching on X. Okay, first, back to the serious stuff, the documents. First, we're going to go to the DC case. So remember, this is still at the appeals level. Yeah, I like habaneros. Let's go to the, the appeals level over here, or this is still at the appeals level where they, uh, you know, we recently got the ruling on the gag order. Trump may, may appeal that to SCOTUS on the gag order. I'm not sure that he will because the gag order did get modified at the appeals level. It's not the same one that Judge Chukin originally gave him. Um, you know, it's not nearly as broad. It's been narrowed significantly where now Trump can call Jack Smith a liar if he wants to. I'm sure he does. Right here, um, there have been some stuff going on. There has been some stuff going on, though. You remember that this case was paused, basically. It's It's been stayed, uh, basically, while it's at the appeals level. And Judge Shukin said, this case is out of my hands right now. It's at the appeals level. I can't do anything with it. All proceedings in it are are, are stopped. The schedule for it is suspended or held in abeyance, I think is what she said. There shouldn't be any filings happening, and yet Jack Smith continues to make filings, right? 
keeps on making all these filings. And Trump team got upset about it. We're like, look, this guy is actually, uh, this one right here. Um, this one right here. He's, he, they made a filing back on January 4th saying, look, judge, Jack Smith is violating your order in this case that it is stayed until the, it works its way through the appeals level. And he keeps, keeps on making motions. So he is, he and filings in it that we need to respond to. So he should be held in contempt. Actually, they said, we want a hearing for show cause where Jack Smith should explain why he should not be held in contempt, which is a different way of phrasing it. But still, they were throwing it out there. He should be held in contempt. Well, Judge Chutkin has replied to this. So let's grab that. Oh, wait, I don't want to download it. My bad. I hit the wrong link. I want to hit one of you on court listener. My bad, my bad. Here we go. Opinion and order. Defendant Trump has filed a motion for order to show cause why prosecutors should not be held in contempt. He contends that the government has violated a court order by continuing to produce discovery and by filing a motion in limine while the deadlines in this case are stayed. The motion states, quote, to remedy this outrageous conduct, this is Trump's attorney speaking, to remedy this outrageous conduct by Jack Smith's special counsel, the court should issue an order to show cause why the prosecutor should not be, one, held in contempt, two, required to immediately withdraw their motion in limine and improper productions, three, forbidden from submitting any further filing or production absent the court's express permission while the stay order is in effect, and four, assessed monetary sanctions in the amount of President Trump's reasonable attorney's fees and expense incurred in responding to the prosecutor's improper productions and filings, including in litigation, in litigating this motion itself right here. For reasons set forth below, the court, meaning Judge Chukin, will grant in part and deny in part Trump's motion. So Trump, get, Trump and team got a win out of Judge Chukin this week. Background. Defendant has appealed the court's decision denying his motions to dismiss based on presidential immunity and constitutional grounds. On December 13th, 2023, the court granted in part and denied in part defendant's motion to stay these proceedings pending that appeal. In the stay order, the court, quote, agreed with both parties that the defendant's appeal automatically stays any further proceedings that would move this case towards trial or impose additional burdens of litigation on the defendant. Accordingly, the court stayed the deadlines and proceedings scheduled by its pretrial order as amended. So, pause button has been hit. The court emphasized, however, one, that the stay order held in abeyance rather than permanently vacated those deadlines and proceedings. And two, so the, the schedule exists, but it's set off to the side for now while this appeal is going on. Two, so nobody's like, if you miss a deadline on filing something, the court's not going to hold it against you. Two, that it did not understand the appeal and corresponding stay to divest it of its jurisdiction to enforce the measures it had already imposed to safeguard the integrity of these proceedings because unlike, for example, requiring additional discovery or briefing, maintaining those measures does not have the advanced, 
does not advance the case towards trial or impose burdens. So stuff like the gag order, protection orders, things like that that are in place to secure the proceedings and, uh, as she put it, safeguard the integrity of the proceedings. Those things are still applicable. Those things are still in force. But any motions or filings that bring this case along towards trial, such as motions in limine, productions, motions that require the other party to respond to them, uh, pre-trial motions, like all this stuff, all that stuff should be paused and shouldn't be happening because they impose a burden on the other party. And this thing is paused. On December 17th and 18th, respectively, the government produced additional discovery and a draft exhibit list to the defendant. The defense objected to the government by letter. Then on December 27th, the government filed a motion in limine seeking to exclude certain evidence and arguments from any eventual trial in the case. See, that one right there, actually, that imposes a burden. The production of discovery in the draft exhibit list, like, doesn't impose that much of a burden as I understand it. I mean, it's like free information that Trump team is just going to say, thank you very much for letting us know this is your, what you, what, what you're, what's going on. But the motion in limine does require uh, a response. E- either to say, oh yeah, that's fine with us. We don't have any argument against it. Uh, but definitely they're going to have an argument, right? They're going to say, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't agree with this motion. Other than noting his objections and filing this motion, defendant has not responded to the government's actions. The court has likewise not taken any action or imposed any new requirements on the parties. Notwithstanding the deadlines and proceedings stated in the case, quote, there is no dispute that the court retains jurisdiction over the stay order itself, and thus any contempt proceedings flow from it. And then it gives gives the legal standard. We'll uh we'll skip that. By the way, I kind of wonder if Trump's team should have responded. Uh, right here it says, other than noting their objections, the defendant has not responded to the government's actions. I kind of wonder if they should have responded if if nothing more than to just like say we oppose this motion, but this this case is stayed while it's at the appeals level. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference, but I kind of wonder if they should have fought making a filing against it. I'm not sure. All right, discussion. The stay order did not clearly and unambiguously prohibit the government actions to which the defendant objects. Start with its operative sentence, which stayed the deadlines and proceedings scheduled by its pretrial order as amended. The pretrial order set specific dates for certain proceedings, such as the trial being set from March 4th, which we all know is not going to happen, and imposed deadlines on other filings, such as motions in limine were due by December 27th. Before the stay order, the parties were required to attend those proceedings and submit filings on the designated dates. By holding those dates in abeyance, the court, the stay order lifted those requirements. Reflecting the court's conclusion that defendants should not stand trial or face the other burdens of litigation, such as discovery obligations, during the pendency of his appeal. The stay order at paragraph 2 Uh, Or that's where that's from. Sorry. But staying the deadline for a filing is not the same thing as affirmatively prohibiting it. The basic function of a deadline is not to authorize a filing, but to time limit it. Correspondingly, 
The lifting of a deadline removes that time limit, but does not necessarily bar the filing. On its own terms, then, the stay order's key operative sentence did not clearly bar the government from voluntarily, uh, rather than an obligatory, compliance with the pretrial order's now stayed deadlines. The rest of the stay order did not unambiguously forbid the government's actions either. Defendant claims it contained an explicit holding that additional discovery and briefing would violate it. That is incorrect. The stay order reasoned that, quote, requiring additional discovery or briefing would advance the case towards trial or impose burdens of litigation on defendant. But neither the court nor the government has imposed any such requirement. And as defendant acknowledges, he has consistent with his rights under the stay order refused to accept or substantively respond to the government's actions. Moreover, the government's productions are f- and filings have been mostly compatible with the stay order's broader purpose, which was to relieve defendant from the burdens of preparing for trial and other pretrial litigation. The court cannot conclude that merely receiving discovery or an exhibit list constitutes, constitutes a meaningful burden. That receipt requires no review or response. Defendant argues that he must preserve his rights by clarifying that he will not accept such materials, evidently by drafting a letter objecting to their delivery. But defendant does not identify, and the court is not aware, of any rights that would not be preserved absent such an objection given the stay in place. Because the stay order appears to have been interpreted differently by the parties, the court will clarify. If defendant wishes to raise objections to the government's productions, he may do so without any risk of forfeiture if and when the mandate is returned and the court sets a new schedule. Contrary to defendant's assertion, the court has not and will not set deadlines in this case based on the assumption that he has undertaken preparations when not required to do so. In the meantime, he is not required to carry any meaningful burdens with respect to those productions. So, look, the productions of discovery in the exhibit list did not impose on Trump's team. And Trump isn't required to respond to them. They're not required to do anything about them. They can accept them. They cannot accept them. They can take them and pick them apart and incorporate them into their plans for the trial, or they cannot. It's up to them, but it doesn't impose a burden. And the stay order in the case did not expl- did not forbid anyone from making such productions or such filings. It just suspended the requirement for them to do so on a timely basis. The same is largely, but not completely true, of the government's motion in limine. Defendant concedes that he is not required to respond to the motion during the pendency of the stay, and the court reaffirms that he forfeits no arguments or rights by choosing not to respond at this time. So it's perfectly fine. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to respond to the motion in limine. Nonetheless, he argues that the government's filing of a substantive motion imposes burden on him by one, requiring him to review it in full to determine whether it is not involved in the appeal. One, like did the motion eliminate, like should it be incorporated into his appeal? And therefore does not, does necessitate a timely response. And two, subjecting him to negative media coverage. The court agrees with the first contention, at least, Diligent defense counsel will need to conduct a preliminary review of each substantive motion the government files in order to know whether they need to take further action. While that is not a major burden, it is a cognizable one. Accordingly, the court will adopt defendant's recommendation that the parties be forbidden from filing any further substantive pretrial motions without first seeking leave from the court. 
There's the win. Any such motion for leave to file shall state whether the proposed motion is ancillary to the pending appeal and so requires a timely response or other action before the mandate is returned. This measure is in addition to the stay order, aimed to further advance its purposes and does not reflect the determination that the government has violated any of its clear and unambiguous terms or acted in bad faith. So conclusion, for these reasons, the defendant's motion for order to show cause why prosecutors should not be held in contempt is hereby granted in part and denied in part. Specifically, it is granted in that until the mandate is returned to this case, until the case is done with the appeal and returned to this court, the parties shall not file any substantive pretrial motions without first seeking leave of the court, meaning without permission. And any such request for leave to file shall state whether the proposed motion concerns matters involved in the appeal or is instead ancillary to it. In all other respects, the defendant's motion is denied. Now, I notice here she did not address the media coverage thing. She did not address the fact that even though the motion in limine does not require Trump to respond to it at the time, it does have an effect on him in that his attorneys will need to examine it to decide whether or not they need to respond. They'll need to determine whether or not it should be involved in their appeal. And it generates press coverage. It generates media coverage. Um, whatever Jack Smith does generates media coverage in the case. So by Trump and team not responding to it, which is their, it's their right not to respond, they are allowing that negative media coverage to just exist without a response to it. And if they respond to it, then that's causing them to do work. And that is exactly what's not supposed to happen, be happening right now in this case. She didn't respond to that. She just, she said it, she included it here, but she didn't give a response to it. Uh, anyway, so Trump got his Trump got a win here. And I think this is a great example of Trump team asking big, right? They ask big. They ask for him to be held in contempt. They want um, his attorney fees paid for him having to respond to this stuff. They want Jack Smith admonished, right? So they wanted Judge Jukin to come down uh with Thor's hammer on Jack Smith and instead. Judge Chute Kim came down and was like, Jack, cut it out. Cut it out. And that's okay. That's okay. It's typical Trump tactic. It's good negotiating skill. You ask big, like, you know, he's asking for a thousand dollars, but happy to accept two fifty. Um, so that's what he got. So now any filings that are substantive in this case that are meaningful, significant filings, uh, they have to ask permission of Judge Chutkin first. And she didn't say she messed up, right? She didn't say, oops, guys, I should have I should have made the stay order in this case more explicit. She just acknowledged that the stay order doesn't specifically forbid any filing. It left she left the door open. She she left the door open to where things got to this point. And what she should have done is explicitly stated in the stay order. That this day, this case has stayed for now. It's paused. The deadlines are held in abeyance. 
anybody who wants to make a substantive filing or motion needs to seek leave of the court first. The way she has it now is how it should have been back in December. But she didn't do that. She didn't admit that she didn't do that, but she kind of did. She didn't take responsibility. <laughs> Imagine that. Okay. Over here to, um, yes, the Doc's case. Maxanon, thank you very much. I'm sorry you were having withdrawal on Wednesday. I really do feel bad. <laughs> I really do feel bad about Wednesday. Um, but I guess I needed to sleep. Um, I had work done on both sides. And uh, not like major work, although one side didn't go well. That's why I was in a lot of pain, really, I think. is because I had work done on both sides, one. And then one side... The uh, uh, the filling fractured. As soon as he got done, it fractured. And he was like, look, we can let this go for now and make you another appointment and you can come back in and we can redo it. Or I'm already in there. We can just redo the filling right now while you're here in the chair. And I was like, let's just do it. Let's take care of it right now. Wasn't his fault. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't think it was his fault though. He's great. So, um, if you guys don't know, like, I totally messed up my teeth as a drug addict, and uh, I've had tons of dental problems. And so, um, I've been fortunate. I found a dentist that has got me on a plan to get my teeth corrected, and uh, it's been going really, really well. Um, I'm really happy about it. Uh, it was something I was super self-conscious about. And uh, so anyway, I got a great, I got a great dentist who's got me on a good plan and we just, we hit a, we hit a, a, a stumbling block in that plan on Tuesday. Filter dog. Thank you for the can. He said, do you still think any of these cases will really go to trial? I think that doc's case has the, I think that doc's case has is most likely to go to trial. Um, I think the doc's case is most likely. I, I'm, I'm really leaning towards the DC case. Um, Trump getting immunity. I think two things are going to happen pretty close to one another. I think that Trump is going to get president. I think is not get, he already has it. I think Trump's presidential immunity will be upheld. I'm hoping that it'll be trimmed just a little bit to allow for um, things like selling of pardons, like we discussed on this show before that Clinton engaged in to be prosecuted in the future. Because that's one of those things where a pardon is a presidential act, which should be covered by, um, should, should be covered by, uh, presidential immunity, like it's an official act of the office, but we know that presidents have sold pardons, right? So you can't like, and they'll do it on their last day, like, like or their last week in office and then they're gone and Congress is like, oh, well, they're not president anymore. They're not impeaching them. So I'm really hoping that 
it'll be trimmed enough that it allows for those things to be uh, corrected or more easily dealt with, or at least deterred to where presidents aren't as likely to do things like that. Um, but I think the DC case will get tossed. I think that'll, I think the presidential immunity will cause it to get tossed. And then I think the, um, the charges for 793, the obstruction corruptly obstructed. I think that SCOTUS is going to, uh, basically get hundreds of J six charges thrown out where, uh, J six prosecutors have misused that obstruction charge, um, on hundreds of J sixers. I think that'll get, I think that'll get thrown out. I really do. And um, I think the prosecutors in D.C. think it'll get thrown out. And the reason they, I think they, they are of that opinion is because they've stopped bringing that charge ever since it, the case got appealed <laughs> like a year ago, uh, like back in April uh, when we covered it on this show. Ever since then, prosecutors in D.C. have stopped bringing that 793 charge. I believe it's 793E, maybe, whatever it is. Uh, so I think those two things are going to cause the DC case to get thrown out. Um, the docs case though, I think could make it to trial because this involves stuff after he was president. Now it should be, it should be, uh, covered under the PRA, the presidential records act and NARA and special counsel's office and white house made sure to circumvent the presidential records act in order to bring these charges in the first place. But I think this case is, I think Trump wants it. I think that there's several instances where you see that Trump is causing them to chase him about this stuff and they, they're just falling for it. Um, I remember for a while, John was, uh, John Harold was thinking that this case is going to fall apart and they don't really care about it as much. Like this case, like the DC case is the one they really want because they want to, they wanted to bring, um, a, uh, seditious conspiracy charge, but they didn't, they didn't have enough to bring us a seditious conspiracy charge. Um, I think they also like there were designs to bring a charge that would have, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, I can't remember which U S code it is. Uh, but it's specifically the one that under the 14th amendment that would have prevented him from being on the ballot. And Jack Smith didn't bring that charge either. So this docs case then becomes the case that has the most legs to it because you do have marked classified documents that are at Mar-a-Lago and the FBI goes and gets them. And they say that Trump shouldn't have had them. Uh, mishandling a classified material, like, I, like when you when you go through this docs case, like you can't help but be reminded of Hillary Clinton and Obama and all of these other presidents, um, all the mishandling of classified information that we've seen our our elected officials and high office holders engage in. Sandy Berger, like. All this mishandling of classified info and the selling of classified information. Like you read this and you can't help but think about the precedence it's setting and how much it just reminds you of the accusations that we threw at our political opponents and they got off on, that they escaped justice on. The Sox case, yeah, Maggie, the Bill Clinton Sox case comes up over and over again in this. So, 
I stand I stand my I stand by my article from right after the raid, my templates article. I, I still believe the same things I put forward in that article that this is all about cutting out a template for future cases. And Trump is the bait in the trap. And Trump is the guy who is creating this scenario. And I think he's going to be fine. But if any, if, if any of these make it to trial, it's going to be this one. The Rico case in Georgia, though. The Rico case in Georgia. Um, looks to be falling apart. It's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. I do think that, at least it concerns Trump and team, it's very weak. I do think that some people broke the law. That are some of the defendants broke the law. I do. Um, like with the Coffee County accessing the voting machines, I think that there's some. I think they broke the law, but I don't think it's criminal mind. I don't think it's they purposefully went in knowing they were breaking the law, seeking to violate the law. Um, I think it's more mistakes. Um, I think it's pretty small stuff, honestly. It definitely doesn't constitute a RICO case. When you look at the the plea deals that have been given out in that case, they are people who were charged with 50 years worth of felonies and they're pleading down to a single misdemeanor or two and getting no jail time. Uh, that that shows you that um, that that shows you that they overcharged in the first place, big time. And then, as we saw in this filing, there's coordination. Not this filing, but the last one we covered in the Docs case. The coordination between the White House, DOJ, NARA, and the Fannie Willis and, and Fulton County is a real problem for their Fulton County case. Because it appears that not only did they coordinate with the White House in order to bring the RICO case in Georgia, which makes it, makes it politically charged, they also commingled federal funds with their 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 prosecution, their investigation, and their prosecution. Which means Congress has oversight, and that's why Jim Jordan is sending sending those letters to get access to documents and communications in the the Fulton County case. Um, and then you have the, the ethical issues of Fannie Willis having an affair allegedly with Nathan Wade and them abusing funds. They commingled the federal funds in their, their team. Right. And then they use some of those funds for their own enjoyment, such as cruises and flights and vacations and all this stuff. And then she's overpaying him. She's paying him like double what she's paying any other prosecutor. Uh, so big ethical problems in the Fulton County case. And I saw that Trump filed, uh, signed on to the motion, uh, that what's his name? Mike Roman brought raising these issues with the judge. And there's a, there's a hearing coming up on it. And then there was something else about it. That's flawed. Um, oh, there's one other thing. There's one other thing about that's, that's a flaw. But anyway, I think the Fulton County case is going to fall apart. I would not be surprised to see Fannie Willis removed from that case 
some other prosecutor brought in, which is going to delay the whole thing. It's going to delay the entire case. And then that, that other prosecutor being brought in ends up dropping it. Like this being like, this is unsalvageable. This whole thing is unsalvageable. And then that's the end of it. Would not be surprised. I also think you know, the DC case, the DC case is, um, uses some of the same behavior and events um, for its charges as the Fulton County case, right? So there's a bit of a double jeopardy argument there in a way, but uh, not really double jeopardy, but they're charging for the same behaviors. And so Trump's immunity in DC case should give him immunity in the Fulton County case as well, or it should be removed to federal court, which is still a thing. Meadows is still trying to get the case removed to federal court. So it could get removed to federal court and then um, release all the federal officials involved and it could get their, their portion removed to federal court. And then it's dismissed because of presidential immunity. And then Trump's defense in the DC case is also his defense in the Georgia Rico case. And the more we learn about uh, the information Trump had between November, 2020 and January, 2021, the more it explains that behavior that he engaged in. And we were talking about that on the devolution power hour um, recently with the CISA document that came out that showed that CISA was aware of all of this fraud and the potentiality for massive fraud with mail-in ballots. And they had internal communications about it. Well, that exonerates Trump because that shows that Trump's concerns about fraud, one that Trump's own, his own agency, CISA was talking about the potentiality for fraud specifically involving mail-in votes ahead of the election. His AG, Barr, was also talking about the dangers of mail-in ballots and its potentiality for massive fraud before November. And then what happens? November happens, and guess what? There's all these allegations of massive fraud, many of it tied to ballots, mail-in ballots. And so then Trump goes around and is talking about how he has concerns about the election and saying it was fraud. It was fraudulent. It was rigged. There were tons of fraudulent votes. He has all these reports. He's contacting various officials in states and in his own government saying, Hey, I'm getting reports that there was lots of fraud. You need to investigate this. Of course, if he didn't do that, he would, he would be, um, it would be wrong of him to not engage in that behavior. Right. And to make those requests of his own officials and of, state officials. So, um, I think it all falls apart. I really do. Um, yeah, that's filter dog. That's right. Trump is charged with unlawful retention of government documents of national defense information, actually NDI national defense information. Katiana 1102, isn't there a, thank you for the $10, isn't there a lawsuit against Rudy Giuliani by his secretary in which he is accused of selling pardons? That rings a bell. That ring, that rings a bell. Hold on. I'm trying to, he's accused. Let's see. That's back from last spring. Whatever happened with that? Let me see. Let me see. I'm not sure the status of this. 
let's see, law, it's a lawsuit, says Rudy Giuliani offered presidential pardons for $2 million each, saying he would split the profits between himself and Trump. Noelle Dunphy filed a $10 million suit that claimed she suffered repeated sexual abuse and other mistreatment by Giuliani while she purportedly employed by him from January 2019 to January 2021. Dunphy claims Giuliani, who's boasted that he was able to break the law because he had immunity. See, Dunphy said in a statement to Newsweek that her suit was inspired by E. Jean Carroll. <laughs> That's about all you need to know. I'll tell you what it makes me think of, though. <laughs> what it makes me think of is uh, Roger, St Roger Stone throwing a temper, temper tantrum because Trump wouldn't pardon him for J6. Did, Ju did Giuliani uh, create a setup to see if any of those J6, any anybody involved in J6 would uh, try to pay him for a pardon? Because this sounds like the kind of thing Giuliani would set up as a sting op. Right? So did he, did he, that, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking like there could be some, this is one of those things where there could be some truth to it, right? There could be a small amount of truth and it's Giuliani and Trump creating a setup to see if anybody involved with J6 was going to try and off pay them money for a pardon. And it was a trap. That's what it makes me think of. I wonder, let's see, does it have a link to the suit? Okay, it does. Oh, uh, it didn't work. It's broken. Let's look it up. Let's see if this, uh, let's see if this is still going on and then we'll go to our documents in the, in the docs case. Cause I totally forgotten about this. Um, let's see. What was her, where's her name at? Noelle Dumphy. Let's look this up. Good morning, John Otter. Dude, I have a new, I'm using this new beard balm. And I really, really like it. It's very, it's really strong cedar smell, which might be why my nose is kind of itchy because I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to cedar. <laughs> so, so smearing it all through my beard may not be the best idea, uh, but I do like it. I think I'm going to trim it up though. I think I'm about to give my beard a, a serious trimming. I've been thinking about it for a while. Let's see. Let's see. So July 31st was the last filing in it. This is it right here. Dumphy versus Giuliani. Bringing it in the Southern District of New York may not be the best idea since that's like his home turf <laughs> like uh trump and giuliani's home turf uh let's see terminated july 7th jurisdiction type diversity 
It's just funny to see that there. Um, four pages right here. Let's see, that's the notice of removal. Notice of removal. Removal from Supreme Court. Partners document from Giuliani Group. Let me see. Let me see. This is. Anchor. What is this one where she's in this case with Lee versus Zoom Lee Limited? Hmm. I think it's dead. I think it I think this case might be dead. Here, let me um let me search it as this real quick. Okay, 13 cases brought come up. Yep. It's 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 dead. It didn't go anywhere. Okay. Well, that was good for a laugh. <laughs> Shelly of Texas, thank you. I will be there. I am very much looking forward to the Dallas Gart event. That venue is awesome. That hotel is wonderful. Uh, when we were there, the hotel was wonderful. The staff was wonderful. That little area that the hotel is in is wonderful. Um, the restaurants around there are, are awesome. Um, yeah, it was it was just fantastic. One of my favorite events I've been to. Okay. Let's see, so we have motion to compel discovery that we'd gone through. That huge filing was right here. Thank you, everybody, for uh, going through it with me. I really did enjoy that, and that's one of those filings where it's so it's so dense. There's so much in it, and I was like, man, this thing's gonna bog me down for like a week. Um, but I feel like I feel like I felt that it was worth it. My intuition was like, yeah, this is worth it. This is worth. There's a lot in here, and there was. We got a lot out of it. And that's just, that's another reason why we go into the details, right? You go into the details and you end up finding that kind of stuff. And that's what we do here. Or it's what we try to do anyway. Okay, so then we had um, a couple other filings. Um, these are notices that Trump put in. Because remember, he made the classified uh, supplement. There was a SIPA motion they responded to. The SIPA, 4, SIPA section 4. It has to do with discovery that Jack Smith wants to delete, and he's asking the judge to part out some discovery and not allow Trump to have it. The judge gets to make that decision. This is where uh, Trump and him are going back and forth. Trump's team wants wants that doesn't want it deleted, and they also want it to be public. And then this notice of an ex parte filing, she ordered them to. But on the public docket, I don't know if I could be getting, I mean, I understand this exactly, but Judge uh, Cannon ordered Trump's team 
to make a filing on the public side of the docket, letting the public know that they had made a filing. That was kind of interesting. Um, I think that fits with what um, we've come to expect from Judge Cannon, where she wants as much of this to play out publicly as possible, um, which is why I think Trump is ultimately going to win out, largely anyway, on the SIPA Section 4 motions. Um, this is what she ordered Trump team to file right here. Defendant Donald Trump's notice of non ex parte filing. President Donald Trump gives notice that on January 16th, he filed under seal a challenge to the prosecution SIPA section four motion. This notice confirms that president Trump did not intend the SIPA four challenge to be ex parte. Okay. She wanted him to clarify it in SIPA section four challenge. He requests ex parte conference with the court. So me, a conference with just him and the judge at an appropriate time to further discuss certain defenses for the purpose of informing the court as it considers various positions of the parties. So she's had the, um, the SIPA section four is asking her to put herself in the defendant's shoes and understand what defenses he might bring based on the classified information that Jack Smith is trying to remove from discovery. And, Jack, and Trump, Trump's team wants to have a one-on-one, -on -one, ex parte conference, it's one-on-one -on -one with the court, to say, look, these are the defenses we're looking at bringing at trial. And so you please consider these as you look at the SIPA 4 motions that Jack Smith is bringing. Okay, I misunderstood this. Uh, looks like Trump's team um, accidentally filed um, under seal something they meant to be um, not under seal. Okay. All right, so here's where we're at, the response. This is our next thing we're going to read. Let's get back to it. Let's get back to the documents, people. This reminds me, I'm going to say, I'm going to mention something. If you, I don't think he said this on the mic, but uh, General Quas said something that at the last event in Arizona, arena I met in California that really stuck with me. Um, oh, hold on. Music and fiction. Good morning, by the way, music and fiction. Um, repeating an observation for true social. Wouldn't Jack Smith's omission of the Mar-a-Lago skiff be considered a Brady violation? This would potentially lead to mistrial or dismissal. Possibly. Maybe. I don't think it's a Brady violation. I'm just saying they didn't include that it appears from it, it appears um, in that motion and what Trump is asking for. There's some room at Mar-a-Lago, which Jack Smith and team or the FBI did not search. And Trump's team is saying there's no way these guys neglected to search this room without them having had pre-raid conversations about not searching the room. And so I'm, so, I'm inferring from it that it must, it must be the skiff because we have, we haven't heard this. We haven't seen the Trump skiff mentioned by Jack Smith's uh, filings. And we, we know that we know that Trump did have a skiff there. So, and it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't search that place, right? 
It also goes to Trump and team moving documents around. Because remember that NARA and DOJ had uh, asked them for certain... NARA was in negotiations with Trump to get documents from Mar-a-Lago moved to NARA because they say that they should have custody of them. And if these documents were in the skiff in a secure location and then Trump had NADA and uh, De Oliveira bring those boxes out and put them in his office for him to review which ones he was sending to NARA and which ones he was keeping under the PRA, then it shows that he was taking care of these documents and he wasn't just leaving them lying around. Um, so, as Jack Smith alleges. I don't think it's a Brady violation. I think it's that they there are communications about why they didn't search that area and it speaks to the the way Jack Smith is trying to present Mar-a-Lago as this insecure resort, party house, and Trump was reckless when he wasn't. So he's asking for Trump and team in their discovery are asking Judge Cannon to compel Jack Smith to turn over and the FBI and NAR to turn over communications they had pre-raid, quote unquote, to avoid that room. Okay, so getting into this. Something General Quas said to me at the California Badlands event has stuck with me. And so I made at the event and the cult on the culture panel, we had this culture panel and I, I was on it and uh, we had two of them actually. And I was on one of them and a great question we were asked is what kind of culture do we want to promote? What kind of culture do we want to see come about in MAGA, in America. Um, and we had a little discussion about it. And my answer, my very first thought, which I knew was humorous, but I was serious about it, was that I want to see a culture that cares about documents. <laughs> and I know that's, I'm saying that to be funny, but I'm also very serious about it. I want a culture that cares about documents because those are the detail. Those details matter. And when you only have a little bit of information, you can get the wrong impression and it's easier to make fake news off of um, just a little bit of information or you can miss, miss be misinformed or, um, you know, I, I want a culture that cares about documents, cares about source material, right? Because that's how we avoid misinformation, disinformation. That's how we avoid uh, misunderstandings. That's how we cut through the fake news, all this stuff. And so I was serious, even though it's funny, you know, I'm very serious about it. So General Quast had a conversation with me and something he said to me, it's just the way he said it has stuck with me. He said that the documents are the chain of custody of truth. And that has really stuck with me that these documents that we go through on this show, that we try to go through on the show, we try to find documents that are a chain of custody. They show a chain of custody of the truth. 
And it makes me think of the Durham report and how the Durham report provides a chain of custody of the truth in Spygate slash Russiagate. And the Crossfire Hurricane Binder likely does the same. And so like when we're going through these filings, I'm now thinking of them a little bit differently. Like it's not, we're like, there's an angle to it where we're going through the filings in these cases and we're seeing the back and forth arguing between the parties. And of course, one party is asking really big over here. Another party is asking really big over here. And the judge is trying to find the middle ground and find what's right in the law and what's justified and um, all of this stuff. And, you know, there's, there's stuff that gets really hyperbolic on either side. But in the, the right, somewhere in the middle of it, generally, there's truth. And we end up discovering these truths. And like on this last filing that we went through in the motion to public discovery, there was argumentation from Trump's side, but there were also FOIA documents, un, uh, over uh, almost 100 of them, you know, that somewhere between like se- around 70 and 80, I think maybe it was. Uh, but these FOIA documents that have been gotten from NARA that Trump and team were citing in their filing to back up their argument. And those documents represent a chain of custody of the truth. Uh, the truth of the discussions that were happening between NARA, DOJ, and the White House. And DNI and the IC and all of these things. So that's that expression, what Quas said to me, um, it meant a lot to me, but it like kind of focused my mind on what we're really trying to do here, which is find the truth. And to find the truth, we need that chain of custody. We need the documentation, the source material that backs up what it is, uh, the truth we're trying to find and the conclusions we're trying to draw. And we have fun with analysis and theory along the way as we're trying to figure it out. And that's totally natural of us and human of us. And it's because we're, we're just, we're like that. We want to figure, especially if you're watching this show, you're probably that kind of person that wants to figure out how things work. That's how I am. But ultimately, I want the truth. And anyway, that is that is stuck with me. And it's it's how I'm viewing what we're doing here. Going into 2024, covering these cases, it's it's like refocused or reframed what I'm trying to do here on this show with by going through these documents on the on in these trials. Okay. Or in these cases, I should say. Who knows if they reach trial? This one may, though. Okay, this is Jack Smith's response to uh, Trump's motion to compel discovery, okay? It's very short. It's only four pages. Trump made a 68-page filing. This one's really short. Two days ago, the defendant filed motions to compel discovery that are replete with mischaracterizations and baseless arguments. We're going to have some argumentation here. Concurrently, defendant Trump filed a motion for temporary leave to file a redacted brief that was joined by defendants Nada and De Oliveira, or De Oliveira. The government supports full transparency of the record, consistent with witness safety, national security, and the court's protective order, in part because that transparency will expose the defendant's distortions of the factual and legal landscape in their motions to compel. Nevertheless, out of concern for witness safety, 
And the reasons explained below, the government opposes the motion for temporary leave to file redacted brief. In effect, a motion to disclose discovery material subject to the court's protective order. To the limited extent that the motions to compel or their exhibits identify any prospective government witnesses constitute Jinx Act material for the same, that's internal FBI communication, or contain certain additional discrete sensitive information specified below. Interesting. So Jack Smith, out of concern for witness safety and some other reasons, opposes Trump's redacted brief. Protection of government witnesses from harassment and intimidation is among the rationales of the Jinx Act exemption of witness statements from discovery and among the reasons courts have routinely held that the government may not be compelled to turn over Jinx Act materials sooner than the statute requires. 18 U.S.C. 3500A, quote, no statement or report in the possession of the United States which was made by a government witness or prospective government witness shall be the subject of subpoena, discovery, or inspection until said witness has testified on direct examination in the trial of the case. That is Goldberg versus United States, 1976. Rationale of Jinx Acts include preventing defendants from rummaging through confidential information containing matters of public interest, safety, welfare, and national security. United States v. Roberts, 1987. These concerns apply in this case, just as in any other. That the government has exceeded its obligations and produced Jinx Act materials to the defense well in advance of trial subject to a protective order in no way dilutes the rationale for keeping the materials out of public view. Furthermore, although safety of prospective witnesses is a prime concern, it is not the only one. Public disclosure of witness identities or their statements in advance of trial also risk infecting the testimony of other witnesses or unnecessarily influencing the jury pool. Accordingly, the government objects to the unsealing or public dissemination of any information in the motion's brief or its exhibits that A, reveals the identity of any potential government witness, B, reveals personal identifying information for any potential government witness, or C, constitutes Jinx Act material for any potential government witness. In addition, one document identifies two of the signals intelligence subcompartments that are redacted in the superseding indictment. And another document identifies the FBI code name of a separate investigation. Last, one exhibit discusses uncharged conduct as to one or more individuals. That's really interesting, guys. We didn't pick up on that. I wonder if that is, I wonder if this right here is in one of the sealed exhibits from the motion to compel discovery that um, we weren't able to see because it's sealed. But that's interesting. So there are two, there are two of the signals intelligence subcompartments that are redacted in the superseding indictment. And one of them is identified. One document identifies two of the signals intelligence subcompartments that are redacted in the superseding indictment. Okay. And then another document that was an exhibit identifies the FBI code name of a separate investigation. Last, one exhibit discusses uncharged conduct as to one or more individuals. Those pieces of information should also remain redacted and subject to the protective order. Jack Smith doesn't want this stuff being public. 
He doesn't want it unsealed and being going on the public docket. I can understand that. I think we can all understand that. And we can all, I think we can all understand the need to protect witnesses. Right? So far, so far, so good. In, in order to assist the court, the government summarizes below the various exhibits with relief the government requests. Okay, so they want these exhibits to remain sealed in full. These exhibits, as to which the government has no objection to their unredacted public filing. Ooh, okay. That's a lot. We may get these unsealed. If, if, uh, if Smith is not opposing these, then that means that we may see a filing on this docket soon where Judge Cannon says, okay, these right here are unsealed and now give us some good stuff to go through. These exhibits, as to which the government has no objection to their public filing with redactions. Oh, this is going to be juicy, guys. We're going to get a lot of stuff. And then these exhibits, defendants have already filed publicly. So these right here, we were able to look at the other day as we went through the motion to compel discovery. But these right here, we might get access to these soon. Sweet. Very good. That's how many? That's like almost, that's like 35. Yeah. It's like 35 exhibits we might get access to from that discovery filing. Sweet. In addition, the government is filing two attachments under seal. The attachments are being, footnote, the attachments are being filed under seal because they contain information subject to the protective order. Okay. Sealed attachment A identifies via red boxes the portions of the brief and sealed exhibits that should remain redacted. Sealed attachment B contains charts with the justification for each of the redactions. The government has no objection to the public filing of defendant's brief and exhibits beyond these limits. For the above reasons, the government requests that the court deny the defendant's request to unseal the information and the materials described in sealed attachments A and B and direct that they remain subject to the protective order. Respectfully submitted Jack Smith, Jay Bratt, David Harbach. Nice. So Jack Smith right here is saying, look, they, they gave you a lot of mischaracterizations of baseless arguments in that motion to compel discovery judge. We don't like it. It's balderdash. It's baloney. But, and we want the witnesses protected. We're very concerned about witness safety. We want to protect all these government witnesses, and here's our legalese that that supports that. However, we're okay with these exhibits being unsealed, as long as there are some redactions. Jack Smith, you're tempting me with a very good time when you say things like that. Okay. There's the sealed entry right there. There's where that filing is. Next. Is a motion to intervene from the press. I think I'm out of coffee. Good thing I'm going to the coffee store today, or at least my wife is. Fellers, get you a wife that'll go to the coffee store for you. That's a good one. If she'll buy you coffee and make you apple pie, you've hit the jackpot. You really have. Okay, this is motion of the press coalition 
to intervene and unseal defendant's motion to compel discovery. So they want, they want access. They want this stuff unsealed. So this is coalition uh, that includes all of these media organizations, which are firing tons of people. <laughs> uh, I love that. Those stories about how many people are getting fired from news agencies were a lot of fun yesterday. All right. They continue to cover proceedings in this prosecution. They are moving to intervene for the limited purpose of seeking to unseal Trump's motions to compel discovery and the exhibits here, too. So those exhibits that were under under seal, they uh, they want them unsealed, too. Uh, let's see. Those records were filed, redacted simultaneously. There's no compelling interest in sealing the records here. Defendants accordingly sought approval to file the motions to compel in substantially unredacted form, noting that proceedings are public and court filings are matters of public record. The government opposes unsealing in part, though this court has already reminded the government that it must, quote, offer a particularized basis to justify sealing records from public view. That's what Judge Cannon has said about this, which is why I think she's going to go along with unsealing this stuff and giving us as much as possible. Uh, and they must explain why um, means other than sealing are unavailable or unsatisfactory, blah, blah, blah. Because the press coalition, coalition agrees that these records are presumptively public and that the government must carry a heavy burden to justify unsealing them in whole or in part, it now moves to intervene in support of unsealing. So the media is coming in here and we like it. From where we sit, we like what the media is doing here, even though we literally hate most, if not all of these organizations and believe they are enemies of the American people and of the truth in this very narrow instance, they are making an argument we like because they are asking for more information to be put on the public docket. And I'm not going to read their whole filing, but they make, they put it right here and they're saying the government needs to unseal this stuff. The government needs to go along with it. Okay. And it includes defendants seek discovery in the following topics one alleged coordination between the special counsel's office and nara two department of energy's alleged attempt to retroactively terminate president trump's security clearance three the seo's contentions that's special counsel's office's seo that mar-a-lago was not secure and that there was a risk that material stored at those premises could be compromised four alleged coordination between the seo and the Biden administration Five, alleged coordination between the Biden administration and Georgia prosecutors. Six, Trump's allegation, quote, that the intelligence community has operated with a bias against him since at least 2019. Seven, Trump's allegation that NARA showed bias against him and engaged in improper coordination with federal prosecutors. Eight, Trump's allegations that members of the prosecution team have shown bias and or political animus toward him. Nine, records related to attorney Stanley Woodward. Records, not 10, records relating to the execution of the search warrant in Mar-a-Lago. 11, surveillance footage recorded at Mar-a-Lago. So that's what they want to get access to. Um, argument, the press has standing to intervene, blah, blah, blah. The court should carefully review the government's proposed redactions. Yep, yep, yep. Second, the right to attend criminal trials. Third, 11th Circuit has been resolute in the presumption of public access. The court should carefully assess the government's proposed redactions and withholdings in light of the strong presumption of public access. 
Let's see. Access, public access, conclusion. Okay. Trump and team responded to it. Response and support by Donald Trump, motion to compel discovery. Wait, this is response to their own. Okay. President Trump's response to the sealing application by the special counsel's office. President Trump respectfully submits this response to the January 18th submission by the special counsel's office requesting sealing with respect to certain portions of President Trump's January 16th motion to compel discovery. President Trump takes no position on any particular request for a redaction. Okay. However, the office made no effort to substantiate its vague claims concerning witness safety and national security as they relate to the requested redactions. Many of the potential witnesses referenced in Trump's motions to compel have already been disclosed in public reports relating to this case. In some instances, based on apparent leaks by the prosecution. Ooh. And in the FOIA releases discussed in President Trump's motions which reveals some of the witnesses go- witness government statement blah, reveals some of the witnesses government email addresses two there's a footnote nara released additional records on the day after president trump filed the motions to compel like prior releases, NARA's January 17th, 2024 release included many of them, included the names of many of the potential witnesses as well. I was talking to John about this on Devilish and Power Hour. There's been a lot of, of, of documents being dropped by NARA recently. In general, and as relates to the 15 boxes. And I've, I've looked at some of them. Um... So right here, this is they have they have a page that's just about the 15 boxes. And starting in October 2022, they started uh releasing some stuff. And then records released October 17th, and then again January 17th, they released more. Um the ones from January 17th are 247 pages worth. And I went to NARA looking at um, all of their releases. Let me see. What is it at? Yeah, you go to search our records and then it's where is it what's new there's a place where it's just recent releases on my other computer i have it pulled up i always get lost on their website There's a place where it's just recent releases. 
And there was this big long list. I bookmarked it, I believe. There it is. Newly accessioned records. I think this is it. So there's this right here. Um, no, this isn't it. This isn't it. Where is it? Release. New. Let me zoom out a bit. There's one of thing. There's one of their pages where it's just recent releases, and it gives you a big list of them. There it is. Here it is. These are press releases. NAR eliminates. Oh, this is the press release stuff. This isn't it. This is close to it, though. Because there's the Mar a Lago 15 boxes one. It is the eighth release. I'll find it later. <laughs> I, yeah, I showed it on Wednesday. I showed it on a, a show last week, I think. Um, <laughs> I'll get lost again. I get lost on their website a lot. Um, I should be better, but I'm not. All right. The special counsel's office did not even cite the First Amendment and common law frameworks that govern whether the sealing of judicial records, such as President Trump's motions, is appropriate. Nor has the office cited any case supporting their position that materials subject to the Jinx Act are categorically subject to sealing as well. That is not the law. Moreover, there is notable dissonance between the breadth of the prosecutor's views about what constitutes Jinx Act material for purposes of their sealing argument when compared to the exceedingly narrow scope they have attributed to 18 U.S.C. 3500 and Giglio in connection with witness disclosures they told the court they would make promptly last summer, which they have not made. The special counsel's office chose to bring this case and has taken unprecedented steps to fuel biased press coverage and public interest in the proceedings in order to interfere with President Trump's leading campaign for the presidency. These steps have included seeking the unsealing of the warrant used to raid Mar-a-Lago in August 2022 and numerous public statements about the office's politically motivated prosecutions of President Trump, including conspicuously timed and tellingly defensive public statements by the Attorney General, released by CNN on January 19th, 2024, in which he inappropriately sought, inappropriately sought to place DOJ's imprimatur behind the office's untenable demand for a speedy trial in this case and on the lawless charges filed in the District of Columbia. Although the office seeks to strike a different tone in its January 18th filing, it is difficult to understand how the substantive litigation that is necessary to vindicate President Trump's defenses to the pending charges can proceed in public as required if the office's general arguments regarding its ceiling are credited in, credited in full as the case proceeds. 
So Trump's team didn't come back and say, well, thank you very much, Jack Smith. I'm glad you guys agree that some of this stuff should be unsealed. Instead, they came back and were and acted like that didn't even happen <laughs> and argued against them. <laughs> like, this special counsel's office is ridiculous. They can't proceed. They can't keep this stuff covered up. <laughs> Okay, this is Trump and team's response to the press, which they say is response in opposition. President Donald J. Trump's response to the press coalition's motions to intervene and unseal defendant's motion to compel. President Donald J. Trump respectfully submits this response to the January 22nd, 2024 submission by the Press Coalition, moving to intervene and unseal defendants' motions to compel. On Friday, January 19th, counsel for the Press Coalition emailed defendants and the special counsel's office stating that they intended to file and ask for the party's positions. The Friday afternoon email correspondence imposed an arbitrary deadline of Monday, January 22nd at 11 a.m. Despite having received no response from any of the defendants by this deadline and having made no effort to follow up with the parties, the press coalition filed at approximately 4 p.m. on January 22nd. So neither Smith or Trump responded and the media filed anyway. The press coalition's filing was made in clear violation of local rule 7.1A3, 88.9A, Local Rule 88.9A requires movements in criminal cases to comply with Local Rule 7.1 and further requires counsel for the moving party to file a statement with the court certifying that either one, counsel have conferred in good faith to resolve the issues raised in the motion and have been unable to do so, or two, counsel for the moving party has made reasonable effort, which shall be identified with specificity in the statement, to confer with the opposing party but has been unable to do so. However, in this case, no such reasonable and good faith efforts were undertaken by counsel for the press coalition, aside from the Friday afternoon email imposing the arbitrary Monday morning deadline. Further, in an apparent effort to conceal its noncompliance, counsel's certification failed to identify its actions with sufficient specificity. After the motion was filed, counsel for President Trump communicated with counsel for the press coalition, informing them of their lack of compliance with the local rules and requesting that they withdraw their motion until meaningful conferral could take place. Rather than engage with defense counsel as the local rules require, press counsel for the press coalition offered several excuses and justifications. None of them just justify counsel's lack of effort to meet and confer as the local rules require. Interesting. First, Counsel for the Press Coalition asserted that the special counsel's office had adequate time to meet and confer and to respond, but the local rules require good faith confer with all parties, not just one, especially where that one party is the government and the Press Coalition's motion relates to unsealing a defense filing. Second, counsel claimed to rely on prior instances where President Trump's counsel has replied without asking for additional time. Prior interactions involving different motions some in different jurisdictions, do not justify failing to follow the local rules in another instance. 
Third, counsel suggested that because of the defendants, because the defendants met and conferred with the special counsel regarding sealing on the same day that the motions to compel were filed, the arbitrary period of time within the press coalition demanded, which the press coalition demanded, uh, was sufficient. President Trump complied with the local rules by meeting and conferring with the special counsel's office on January 16th. The fact that such conferral happened on the same day as the filing of the temporary motion to seal and the motions to compel does not justify the press coalition's conduct. Finally, counsel for the press coalition claimed that the timing of the communications was reasonable and in conformity with the local rules because the matter was briefed and pending. This is simply wrong. The special counsel's office filed its opposition to our temporary motion to seal on Thursday, January 18th, thereby making our reply brief due January 25th. Given this, it is clear that the counsel for the press coalition's claims of urgency are manufactured. The court has already denied without prejudice a motion filed without meaningful conferral and for good reason. President Trump's consideration of whether he should object, consent, or take no position as to the press coalition's motion or any other application should not be rushed, particularly as he is both actively campaigning for the Republican presidential nomination and participating in a civil jury trial in Southern District of New York. Meaningful time to discuss potential motions by adversaries and or would-be interveners with President Trump as well as counsel for co-defendants is necessary. Had counsel for the press coalition meaningfully conferred and given the defendants opportunity to inform them of our position, defense counsel would have reminded the counsel for the press coalition that Mr. Trump, Mr. Nada, and Mr. De Oliveira previously moved for approval to file the motions to compel in substantially unredacted form. However, it is also our view that although the press coalition has requested similar relief, they are seeking to shift the burden of justifying sealing from the special counsel's office to the court. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Although the press coalition has requested similar relief, meaning they are asking for some of the same things Trump and team are acting asking for, which is, that the motions to compel discovery be substantially filed in unredacted form. So they're agreeing on that. They are seeking to shift the burden for justifying the ceiling from the special counsel's office to the court. Their argument is the court should not seal it instead of Jack Smith's office should not have it sealed and redacted. Okay, and or redacted. Quote, to rebut the presumption in favor of public access, the requesting party must establish that sealing their records is essential to preserve higher values and is narrowly tailored to serve that interest. United States versus Sahus or Sajus 2018. Accordingly, and as set forth in the defendant's January 22nd, 2024 reply, it is the special counsel's office they must provide a sufficient basis for every redaction it demands, and this court should not be required to conduct an independent review and alleviate the office of its burden of doing so. For these reasons, President Trump respectfully requests that the court deny the press coalition's motion to intervene and unseal defendants' motions to compel discovery. In the alternative, we respectfully ask the court 
to accept this filing as a statement of our position on the Press Coalition's motion. Interesting. So they don't like it. Trump's team one is pointing out that the press coalition broke the rules and that just seems on its face to be the case. Um, as the rules have been explained to us here in this document, but interesting that they, they also do not like that the press shifted the argument to be one of the court should have the responsibility to unseal this stuff instead of Jack Smith needs to justify the ceiling, right? Like they're changing what the argument, the, the relief, the end result is pretty much the same. What they're seeking is the same, but Trump's team wants the onus to be on the special counsel wanting it sealed, not on the court. Interesting. Okay, the last thing we have here is simply a notice. It's the notice of a SIPA Section 4 filing. Let me see. Oh, it's not simply a notice. Never mind. Never mind. This is from Waltine Nada. So is this signed by Stanley Woodward? No, Sasha Dayton, Dayton Law Firm. Oh, okay. This has to do with Jack Smith trying to keep classified discovery from uh, Waltine, Nada, and De Oliveira. Even though their attorneys already have do have clearance. Okay. We are going to skip this one. I'm not sure how much there is in here for us. Because whatever their arguments are making, it's probably the same arguments we've heard from Trump. Uh, so it would probably be a repeat. Okay, let's see if there's any other filings we need to look at. Um... Before I have to go, let's check. I haven't seen anything from Huddleston yet. I'm expecting that um, any day now the judge is going to say something here. This is the Seth Rich FOIA case, if you don't remember. And we haven't, you know, they missed the deadline and the government, uh, the FBI asked for an extension of time and they want stuff reviewed and reconsidered and, um, delay, 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 you know, uh, but also the last time we looked at this, we went over how this clarification right here, I'm pretty sure I did this on the show. I definitely did it online on X and True Social um, that the 
the judge's response, his order on November 28th, did not mean to in, to to give a response to these two other motions that Huddleston had filed. Um, and yeah, we went over this on the show. So there's more to come any day now in this in this case. Maybe we'll get something next week. Or maybe we'll get something this weekend while I'm watching the 24 hours of Daytona. <laughs> oh, I know another one. In the Menendez case, let's see. That's not it. That's not it. In the Menendez case, there's been quite a few filings and there have been some attorneys joining, um, some new attorneys joining. This one right here, this Mark Joseph McDougal, I was looking into him and he's with a super high power, massive law firm and specializes in white collar crime. And he was added to Nadine. And I was looking at who their attorneys are, the defendants. They all have different attorneys. Everybody has a different set of attorneys, which is understandable, except for Nadine Menendez and Bob Menendez do not have the same attorneys or the same law firm representing them. And I'm really, th and you know, she filed to uh, have her case tried separately from his. I, I think we're going to see... Nadine possibly flip on, on Bob. That's my hope. And the more I see her add attorneys, swap, she's swapping some different ones out. This guy, let's see, where'd it go? This Mark Joseph guy just got, Mark Joseph McDougal just got added to her. And... I just, there's some stuff, there's some stuff going on. Uh, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see her take a plea deal in order to testify against Bob. That's my feeling. I could be wrong, but I think it's going to happen. I really do. Okay. That is my show for today. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for being here. We'll see what documents next week brings. I'm sure it'll be quite a few. I am going to watch Daytona this 24 hours of Daytona this weekend and build Legos and play Hot Wheels with my boys. And yeah, it's going to be one of those kind of weekends. Maybe we'll build a fort in here in the studio. I don't know, but it's going to be, it's race car weekend. Racing season is finally back. Heck yeah. It's about time. So 
Appreciate you guys. Thank you very much. Maggie, love you too. So I will be, no, you'll see me. Yeah, you'll see me Monday. You'll also see me on Defected. I'll be on Defected. Uh, we're still doing Defected on Sunday night. So yeah, we'll get, we'll get, we got some folding chairs and stuff. Um, looking forward to it. It's always, it's always great. We enjoy it every year. Um, Jason, thank you for the rant. You said, uh, how do you get evidence introduced courts, court legally? Make them demand it. That's right. That's right. Filter dog. Thank you very much for the gold pills. Appreciate you guys. Y'all have a blessed weekend. And remember, stay positive. We're not going to win every battle, but we're going to win this war. Where's my music? Where'd it go? There we go. All right. God bless. I'll see y'all later. Crawl